The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Welcome, Springs Church, and welcome to all of you who are joining us online today. As we've been recording these services from home, there's a lot of things that we're learning. There's a lot of things you don't realize and don't think about until you really start doing this a lot from home. So for example, last week I gave the communion homily and it just never occurred to me, even when I went back and watched it, the placement of the fan above my head in the shot. And so one of you sent me this picture with the fan directly above my head and I didn't realize the whole time it looked like I had a halo above my head. And they also sent this picture beside of Jesus with the halo fan above their head. And so my response to this individual was, well, communion is a holy moment, so maybe that was providence. Or maybe, for those of you that are old enough to remember this reference, maybe I was just channeling my inner Go-Go Gadget. If you remember, Go-Go Gadget had had this helicopter that pops out of his hat. And so maybe that's what was happening. Either way, as we learn how to do church online together, as we make mistakes and do things that are distracting, sometimes that are helpful, and we learn to laugh at ourselves, the one thing that I am thankful for is that I'm, I'm thankful through this technology that we get to be together. So from my house, through your screen, into your house, I want to say this. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. We are in a sermon series, Ecclesiastes, Good News in a Meaningless World. And Brett started us off fantastic last week with a message. And so today we want to continue in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do the workers gain from all their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of human beings. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does this so that people will fear him. Whatever is already been and whatever will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. Let's pray. God, as always, we give you thanks for your word. 
And so today, we ask for ears to hear and hearts to follow and lives that have the courage to obey. And God, I ask today for the gift of preaching. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We are obsessed with time. I mean, we try to keep it and save it and spend it. We try to manage it and schedule it. We try to arrange it. We make time. We waste time. And sometimes we try to use it wisely. We are obsessed with years and months and days, although these days I'm not sure what day it is. But nevertheless, we're generally obsessed with what day it is. We're obsessed with the hours and the minutes, even down to the second. And we have all kinds of sayings about time. That time is of the essence. That time flies when you're having fun. We say carpe diem, seize the day. And we have other sayings like time is money and don't waste my time. And we mark our lives by it and we depend on it in order to feel that feel like there's coherency within our lives and the events in our lives. And I think that we do this for several reasons. But at the heart of our obsession, at the very heart of our obsession with time and keeping track of it is that we want to know that it counts. We want to know that our life has meaning and purpose and counts. We want to know that the actions and the events of our life, they, they matter. They have purpose and meaning. And so we usually are burdened with these old questions of the ultimate questions. Like, how did I spend my life? At the end of my life, I may ask, how did I spend it? How did I spend my time on this earth? We want to know that our lives are full of meaning and purpose, and therefore, I think we measure those events in our lives through time. The teacher of Ecclesiastes is attempting to make sense of life as well, and he's attempting to make sense of, more specifically, all of human activity and the seasons of life that we go through. And he uses this poem at the beginning of chapter 3, this birth and death this time to kill and a time to heal, this time to plant and a time to uproot. And one of the things that we notice about life and that the teacher notices about life is that life is full of rhythms, that we depend on rhythms in order to have meaning and coherence in life. And probably now more than any other time, we realize the importance of rhythms in our life because the rhythm of our daily life, what we consider the normal rhythm of our life, has been disrupted. And so we know how important rhythms are. We depend on them. But equally, what I think we see in this poem is that while there are rhythms in life, birth and death, war and peace, time for searching and time for giving up, that we also see, or at least I see in this, that it, it seems like there's no, there's no rhyme or rhythm to the way he organizes it. In fact, scholars have noted this. They've tried to say, why does he pick these things? And one of the things we could say is trying to, trying to get all of different kinds of events and all-encompassing events in our life. But there's no rhyme or reason why he puts them in the order that he does or why even a list, list the ones that he does. 
you may think differently and that's okay but what i see in this is not only that there's rhythm to life but these rhythms often feel or can feel random and i think that's what the poet is trying to say that all of these events in life that i that the teacher is trying to look at all of these events and trying to make sense of them and they just seem random for example we're all born but it seems random, the time and the place that we're born. We just find ourselves alive. And even though we all know we're going to die, we don't know how or when. Weeping and mourning seem to interrupt our lives in times that we cannot control. And laughter and dancing spring up in moments that we don't always conjure up for ourselves. There are, all, there are those moments we realize we need to get rid of stuff. And then there's moments we realize we need to keep it. There's those times that we need to search. And then there's also those moments where we realize we need to give up searching, even if we don't really want to. Most of us don't have the power to make war or peace, at least on a global or international scale. And we don't choose the times when there's sickness or in health. We didn't choose when flu season comes about. We didn't choose when a global pandemic would happen. And there are times for embrace, and there's also times to refrain from embracing. And now is a time that we are reframing from embracing most people in our lives. Now, while we're choosing to do this, we didn't choose the circumstances that are causing us to make this choice of social distancing. And so the teacher is looking at all of life and saying, what is the meaning of all of these events? And he asked this question in light of his poem, in light of the rhythms and the randomness of the events of life. He asked this question in verse 9, what do we gain from all of our work? What do we gain from all of our activities, all the events in our life? What is really gained from all we do? Is there any real progress? We work so hard to grow and to build and to make progress and to do all these things in our life. And the question the teacher has is like, is there any real progress? Is there anything really gained? It doesn't seem that our work and our plans and our activities, the events in our life make any real difference or have any real meaning. This is what the teacher is reflecting on. And he goes on in verse 10 to say this, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. And it's twofold. Verse 11 says, first, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And that he's also, number two, set eternity and the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He says, this is the burden that God has given us. Number one is that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Now, this is how I understand what the teacher is trying to say. The teacher is not trying to say that God causes all these things to happen. It's not that God is in control of all human activity or behavior and he's making it happen. But he does take human activity and he makes it beautiful in its time. He makes it complete, or another way of saying it, instead of beautiful in its time, is that he makes it complete or he orders it in its proper place, in its proper time. All analogies talking about God are not sufficient, but here's one way I like to think about it. When you walk into a library, 
there are random books all over the library. And the librarian who's in charge of the library, he or she doesn't write any of those books. They don't decide the themes or what words go into them. They don't make those decisions, but it is the work of the librarian to order each book in its proper place, to help make sense of all of these books that we can find them and we can discern where they are and their place. Or maybe there's another way to think about this. Think about your home. You, if you're like me, you don't make most of the things in your home. So in this room, I didn't make this desk or this computer that's sitting in front of me. This phone, I didn't make that's recording this video. I didn't make the bed. I didn't make the stove, the couches. I didn't make all that stuff. But in my house, I get to put all of it in its proper place or more likely Kim gets to put all of it in its proper place. But you get to choose where everything goes. Everything has a place. And because it's your house, you order that in its proper place, even if you didn't cause it or make it. And I think this is what the teacher of Ecclesiastes means by that he has made, God has made everything beautiful in his time. He's not causing these events to happen, but that he's ordering them for his purposes. And the second part of this burden, the second part that the burden that the teacher realizes that God has placed on us is that he has set eternity in our human hearts, yet we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And this is part of the human condition, is that we can see glimpses of eternity, but we are finite and are ultimately frustrated that we can't see it all. So I think there are moments in life where we, where we experience this eternity that's been set inside of our hearts. There are these moments, and maybe you've experienced these as well, these precious moments when you're holding your newborn child and the world is just right. Or these rare times, and I mean rare times, when you treasure the age of your children and you don't want, to ever, you don't want them to ever grow up. Or these periods in your life where relationships, you want them to always remain as they are at this moment when they're just perfect. Those times in life, these are the glimpses into eternity when those times in life that are just right and you want them to always be like this. But here's the human condition. We know that those moments don't last. And that's part of our burden. That we can see these moments of eternity when life is right and it makes sense and everything is clear and you want it to remain that way forever. Yet we know, like the teacher knows, that those moments are fleeting. They are like vapors. And so all of those moments that flee from us, and then the randomness of when they come and when they go, and the randomness of, of all the events of life, our heart aches for that kind of clarity and the kind of meaning those eternal moments give us. And this is our burden. Our burden is we want to see clearly the meaning and purpose of it. We want to see 
the, clearly the meaning purpose of all the events in our life. But the problem is we're finite. And so the teacher's response to his own question about what, what do we gain from all of our work and how should we think about this? Is he says this, he says, I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them should eat and drink and enjoy the, their labor. That this seems to be for the teacher, that one of the ways that we are to respond to the events of our life is that we are just to embrace our humanity. We are to embrace our own limitations that we cannot see and we cannot understand. We're to embrace that we are finite. And by embracing this, that we can trust that life, that we can trust that, that life can be received as a gift from God. As one commentator put it, reflecting on uh, the teacher in Ecclesiastes, is that we are not so much shapers of our lives as we are recipients of our lives. And so the final word that the teacher has is this, that God does this so that people will fear him. That awe is the only response to this mysterious and awesome and powerful God. And this speaks to the teacher's notion of what it means to be a faithful person, according to the book of Ecclesiastes. For in chapter 3, what it means to be a faithful person is always striving to discern the patterns of God's work in our lives and preparing ourselves to receive the gifts of God yielding gracefully when familiar gifts are withdrawn and new ones, perhaps even unwanted gifts, are given. Embracing our own humanity, our own finiteness, in order is to receive the gifts of God. This is what the teacher says about the events of our life. But the teacher is not the only word and the teacher in Ecclesiastes is perhaps not the final word. For I think Jesus has some good news to think about the events of our life, to maybe answer some of the questions about, God, what is the meaning of these events of life that I go through? In John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, it says this, As he went along, he saw a blind man who is blind from birth. He asked his disciples, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now the disciples have the same kinds of questions we do, the same human questions of why, and they're trying to make sense of why this, blind, blind, this guy is blind, and they ask the question, just based on their own understanding and the wisdom of their day. Is it because of his parents or is it because of his sin that he's blind? And Jesus' response is neither. But this man was born blind so that the works of God may be displayed in his life. Now, I want to channel the teacher here to say that God doesn't cause blindness. According to Ecclesiastes, that all of these events that God orders them, he's not causing them. And so I want to affirm this. God doesn't cause the blind man to be blind. In fact, we know from the Gospels that God in Jesus Christ heals blindness. He doesn't cause blindness. 
But God takes this circumstance, he takes this event, this random birth of, of blindness that happens in this guy's life, the randomness of this event in this guy's life, and he uses it to reveal himself to this man and to us and to the world. Our finiteness blinds us from making meaning out of the events of our lives. But God orders them for his purposes. And faith, I think, faith is the way we see God's meaning and purpose for our lives. I want to close with Paul's words in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 28. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that in all things, that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. The Spirit of God intercedes for you and for me with sighs too deep for our understanding because the Spirit knows the meaning and purpose of our times. And even as we embrace our own humanity, our own limitations, our own finiteness, we can by faith know that all things work together for good for those who love God, those called according to his purpose. This is biblical faith. It doesn't erase our frustrations or it doesn't cancel out our longings to know from beginning to end the meaning of all the events in our lives, but it does reassure us that our times, that the meaning and purpose of our lives, the meaning and purpose of the events and the seasons of our life are in God's 